You're listening to The Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore, and we welcome Jerry Snyder to the program. How you doing, Jerry? I'm doing fine, Bob. Thank you very much. And yourself? I'm okay. Jerry Snyder is an Amsterdam historian, former president, and one of the founders of Historic Amsterdam League. He's still uh, very active as a member of the Board of Trustees. Current president of Historic Amsterdam League, by the way, is Dan Weaver. And uh, Dan Weaver uh, tells me that uh, Jerry just did this uh, great presentation on Amsterdam trolley cars to a meeting of the Historic Amsterdam League. I, I gather you had a packed house, Jerry. Yeah, we had a very good turnout uh, Turnout last Wednesday night. We had to bring in some folding chairs, and uh, we had a standing room only crowd in the council chamber. So uh, we had an excellent turnout, actually. I know that uh, trolley cars and the trolley history of the Amsterdam area has been an interest of yours for a long time. So I'll, I just want you to kind of uh, take it away. I did a, a little research, just read Hugh Donlan's account of trolley cars in uh, Amsterdam. Uh, they uh, go back uh, quite a ways. What was the first, uh, tro- you know, tro- horse-drawn or uh, then electric-powered uh, uh, street railway in uh, the old Carpet City? Well, they they started out back uh, back in 1873 with uh, the Amsterdam Railway Company, which was actually a uh, a horse railroad that was organized by some of the more prominent uh, businessmen here in the city uh, seeing the need for a uh, mass transit system. And they started out with uh, just uh, about uh, three three horse cars and a few horses. And uh, that, like I say, it was 1873. Uh, the records indicate that uh, by 1874 they had actually had 108,000 passengers. So obviously they uh, filled a very... Uh, uh, needed niche in uh, in mass uh, mass transit for the urban area here at the time for the village. Yeah, you know that's uh, that's a good the, uh, good point. You know, I, and Donlin makes it in his Amsterdam history book. Yeah, can you imagine what it was like? And of course, we weren't there. I mean, you couldn't. You had to walk or or have a horse or a, your own horse and wagon. You know, to, to be able to just get on this uh, conveyance pulled by horses was a great improvement. Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, the the original track was only about a mile and a half, but that took you from one end of the village to the other, from from one set of woods to the other at, at the east end of the village up to the west end at that time. And, uh, you know, a 20-minute 20, 20 ride, uh, what would it take you to walk that far, really, to if you were along the streets? Uh, it, was, uh, it was, for six cents, you could make a complete round trip. I mean, six cents back then was probably real money, but still in all, look at the time saving that it was for you. Yeah. But then uh, they came in with something new, electric trolleys. Yeah, back in uh, back in the 1860s, they had started trying some, in, in other areas, of course, they had started trying some, some different ways to power things, so steam power and um, cable cars and that type of thing. Uh, but electricity eventually, uh, in the late 80s, uh, became the, the way to do it. Uh, first big system was down in uh, Richmond, Virginia. Actually, the first uh, big-scale electrically powered system. But in uh, in 1890, uh, the uh, system here in the city got uh, permission to go electric, and that was the same year that a group from uh, New York City and Philadelphia, a group of businessmen, actually bought the system from the local business people here, 
and I, I like to kind of compare it to the whole dot-com boom that we went through a few years ago. Uh, everybody wanted to jump on the bandwagon. Uh, the electrified rail systems were the were the big thing in those days, and all the investors were looking for for to buy up these small areas uh, that were going with electric railroads. So the New York City and Philadelphia people bought the uh, the Amsterdam Street Railway. They started electrifying it in 1890. By 1891, uh, they had put in all electric cars and uh, put up uh, all the wiring and everything that was necessary uh, to electrify the system here in the city and uh, started putting some money into it and expanded it by building uh, building the uh, Market Hill line, which took them up to the top of Meadow Street there. So they were starting to uh, expand and uh, grow, with, uh, grow with the city, uh, the city itself being chartered in 85, uh, was starting to grow in different directions, and they were trying to expand the uh, the rail line to go with it to uh, meet the needs of the people. So uh, they started pouring some money in from outside the city. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the Market Hill line. I uh, I gather that that was uh, an issue, and I'm sure it was an issue in so many other communities that are hilly places. It was is one thing, like the horse railroad or uh, horse car railroad ran basically on the flat but going up those hills was was tough and it continued to be tough uh, throughout the era of electric trolleys yeah definitely and i mean the original horse car railroad just ran on uh, market and uh, main street and division street but when they built the when they the lower market area when they built the line up market hill they created a 14 percent grade there which is Every 100 feet you go horizontally, you raise 14 feet vertically, and that was the steepest grade in New York State of any trolley line when it was built. And uh, they used to have to keep uh, keep someone from the uh, railroad station there to uh, keep putting sand on the rails so that they could ensure that they could generate enough traction uh, to get enough grit under the wheels in order to uh, to get traction and get up the get up the hills a lot of the time, especially if the rails were wet or in the winter conditions. Uh, so uh, climbing up that hill was quite often quite often a challenge under any weather conditions uh, with a grade that steep, and to make sure that uh, they were putting out enough electricity. If they had any problems with the generating plant or anything, sometimes they just couldn't get enough power up the line to get the uh, get the cars up the hill. Mm-hmm. The Amsterdam Street Railway had its own generating plant. Uh, originally, it did. Yeah, it was located down uh, down at the base of Walnut Street, uh, down towards the east end, down. The area, which would be down uh, down one of the back sides of the parking lot, down by the uh, Riverfront Center mm-hmm. area now. But uh, as you say, they were popular from the get-go, the electric trolleys, and and really making it possible, uh, for, you know, for people who lived in one part of the the what became the city in 1885 to go, f- you know, f- from one part where they lived to maybe the mills that were up the hill or down the hill and and far away, and eventually an uh, another company enters the picture. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, this this group from uh, New York and Philadelphia did do expansion, and uh, like I said, they uh, they put the line up Market Hill, and then uh, later on they uh, extended the line on Division Street and build another uh, build a nice new car barn up on the corner of Henrietta and uh, Division Street that had a dance hall above it. Became quite the social gathering area for the city here. It was called the Pavilion. And then by 93, they extended the line on out to Fort Johnson, and they built a small park out there in Fort Johnson called Aiken Park. Uh, Fort Johnson used to be Aiken, and uh, that was a real trolley park. They owned the park, and uh, 
people would go there, mm-hmm. naturally riding the trolley, which generated revenue for the trolley company. So it was kind of a uh, it was kind of a way that they generated their own their own uh, revenue. But uh, by 1900, uh, the Fonda Johnstown and Gloversville Railroad entered the picture, and they purchased the Amsterdam Street Railway from the uh, group, uh, the New York City and Philadelphia group, because the Fonda Johnstown and Gloversville, while a lot of people remember them as mainly originally a steam railroad, they also eventually operated one of the largest electric uh, railroads mm-hmm. in the whole area here that ran eventually all the way from uh, Bleecker Mountain down to uh, Scotia. And they always had it in their mind that they wanted to connect Johnstown and Gloversville with Amsterdam and eventually with, with Schenectady. So Amsterdam was a stepping stone on the way. So in 1900, uh, they actually bought the Amsterdam Street Railway, and that's the point when it really started to take off. The city itself was growing. And the FJNG started to pour all kinds of money into the into the electric uh, railroad system here in the city uh, to keep up with the growth of the city and also with their eventual plans to connect Fonda and Johnstown to Am- or excuse me uh, Cloversville and Johnstown to Amsterdam and also make their way on down the valley eventually. Mm. And uh, and they did do that. Uh, and I noticed you, you said that the line went to Scotia. That's where another electric railroad picked it up, or did the yeah? What they what they did is they eventually they eventually uh, they they got trackage rights to go all the way into Scotia, and at that point they picked up the uh, trackage from the Schenectady Schenectady uh, trolley system, which ran over into Scotia. They had the bridge across the across the river into Scotia, so they had arrangements with them. That at that point they could use the Schenectady trackage. And they would cross over there and go over into Schenectady from that point, uh, be able to service the General Electric uh, plant there. And they would actually go in on State Street and make a loop around the park and then come back and cross over the bridge and come back up the, the valley that way. So that was their inner urban line mm-hmm. and, and that they ran down the valley there. And I have it here that it, it was in 1903 that they uh, connected uh, to Glo- from you know, they could you could go from Gloversville to uh, Schenectady on the FJ and G. Yeah, the, the actual the actual interurban line itself uh, opened up in uh, 1903. That's when that's when they opened that. The connection between Amsterdam, Johnstown, and Gloversville opened in 1902, when they connected the line down through uh, Tribes Hill and Fort and uh, Fort Johnson down to Amsterdam. Hugh Donlin in a history book has a picture of the FJ and G Limited which uh, was the big trolley car that uh, went uh, on the on the Schenectady run. And it, he, I don't know, he said something in there. I guess it's not in the caption, which I'm uh, looking at. But he, he says, oh, no, it said, the speed and silent approach classified them as lethal, according to an accident record in the mid-1930s. I guess these were big trolley cars, and they were, they were rather quiet, and they kind of snuck up on people who might be uh, on the tracks. Yeah, the well, they were electric, so they really didn't make a lot of noise. Uh, kind of like the, some of the problems they have with some of the electric automobiles today, that they don't make enough noise to alert pedestrians, especially if they have their uh, earbuds in. And uh, they did travel quite quickly. Uh, the, some of the the older big interurbans that traveled down the down the valley could easily hit 60 miles an hour. Towards the end of the era, in the mid 30s when the FJNG bought 
uh, the uh, what they called the Brill Bullets, which were the most modern cars of the day at that time. Uh, they were all aluminum construction. They could easily do 70 miles an hour. And once they got those cranking down through there, um, if you didn't hear those coming at 70 miles an hour, you didn't have a lot of time to get out of the way. Mm. And there were quite a, there were quite a few accidents with people on the tracks especially in the early days, because they just weren't used to something moving that fast when you were driving a horse and carriage. We're talking with uh, Amsterdam historian Jerry Snyder about trolley cars in the Amsterdam, New York area. We'll continue in a moment on the Historian's Podcast. This is Bob Cudmore. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Historian's Podcast. The podcast depends on your donations to keep going. We welcome donations online in any amount at our GoFundMe site, gofundme.com forward slash historians2017. If you'd rather donate by mail, make out a check to me, Bob Cudmore, and send it to 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. Thank you. We're talking with Amsterdam area historian Jerry Snyder about a presentation which he's developed on trolley cars in uh, Amsterdam, New York. Uh, we were just talking about the large interurban uh, cars. There were maybe, I mean, they're you know probably well known, but maybe more remembered are the smaller cars that used to travel in the in the cities. Would you say the 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 city used a lot of the smaller cars in Amsterdam, like a lot of the cities along the river and everything, obviously being built on the hills. Uh, the smaller cars had a much easier time getting up and down the hills. They're lighter weight, for one thing. Uh, but Amsterdam also has a lot of curves and twists and turns, and the smaller cars could maneuver much easier uh, through through the city and through the city streets. Uh, some of the lines here in the city, especially uh, what was called the Belt Line, which ran kind of up the back part of the city from Roman Avenue up to the Rockton Y area. Uh, as it went, made its way across the, well, your old neighborhood there, Bob, up around, uh, up around uh, Reed Hill, mm-hmm. uh, kind of made a lot of twists and turns through there, a lot of 90-degree corners. And uh, the smaller you really need the smaller cars to get through there because those big cars just couldn't make all those tight turns and everything. And the advantage, one of the advantages also with the weight was coming down the hills. Uh, you had to break those cars in order to slow them down and to keep them from getting away from you. And a lot of the cars also, uh, especially the small ones, uh, they were fitted with magnetic brakes that actually uh, were big electromagnets that they could actually grab onto the tracks magnetically to slow the cars down in addition to the regular brakes on the wheels. Hmm. You mentioned... Uh the uh, the phrase Rockton Y. I mean, growing up uh, in Amsterdam, that uh, it was a well-known phrase to me and a well-known location. Although now uh, it's still called the Rockton Y, I believe. But it, uh, there are no more trolley cars. That's true. It's 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 kind of interesting if you look back into the history of that. Now, the t- the term Rockton Y doesn't appear in newspapers and written articles until about 1914. Um, that's when it really starts to show up in the areas referred to as the Rockton Y. Uh, 1910, they built the Beltline, and the Beltline connected to the uh, Hegeman uh, extension uh, of the trolley line because the Rockton line 
uh, ran up to uh, the head of Forest Avenue, and then when they built the Hegeman extension uh, from there, it ran from the head of Forest Avenue on up Lyon Street and then across and up Hewitt Street, up through Crescent Park and Harrowers and on up to Hegeman. When they built the Beltline, it came up and connected uh, from Clisby Avenue, and it formed what they called a Y right there in that area in front of the section where Damiano's Flowers is now, mm-hmm. right there. And it formed a triangular arrangement of the tracks such that if you came in from the Lyon Street direction or the Hewitt Street direction or the Clisby Avenue direction, you could go out either of the other two points of the triangle or actually by maneuvering around, you could turn the trolley around by running through the triangle and go back out the way you came in. Uh, in railroad parlance, that's that arrangement of tracks is referred to as a Y, W-Y-E. So it eventually became referred to as, while originally they started calling it the Rockton Junction, it became colloquially known as the Rockton Y. That whole area took on the term Rockton Y, and eventually the FJNG even listed that area on their timetable as the Rockton Y because there was a small station there. Um, That kind of caught on, and the whole area became known as the Rockton Y, so few years after that track arrangement appeared there, you started to see the Rockton Y, although they just used the letter Y to describe the area uh, appearing in printed matter. Trolleys have been gone since the mid-30s, and although the tracks hung around for a number of decades after that, and even a few years ago, you could still see some tracks in the street up there. Uh, the area is still known as the Rockton Y. That'll probably be that way forever. <laughs> probably so. And also, you'd mentioned that the Amsterdam Street Railway had its own park. Uh, and on the FJ&G line, there was another uh, park developed in Amsterdam, I think first called Crescent Park. Now, Mo, uh, now it's Herbert Shuttleworth Park. That was also uh, dependent on, the, on trolleys for uh, getting people there, did it not? Uh, yes, uh, for the most part, uh, that park actually, the trolley line was there uh, about 10 years before the park itself developed. The park opened in 1914. The trolley line, uh, trolley line to Hegeman actually uh, was there in 1902. So the park built there because one of the reasons it built there was the trolley line was able to bring bring people up there. That was a private enterprise, so technically that wasn't that wasn't what they would call a trolley park that was owned by the railroad. But uh, it certainly did make it easier for people to get there and uh, was probably one of the main factors in the success of the park and uh, the, the ball field there and everything was the ease with which people could, could get up there with the transportation that was available. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that the, uh, the trolley, uh, you know, the FG&G was very happy to uh, take uh, hundreds of people up there for the ball games. Yes. What happened to the trolleys? Uh, the automobile. <laughs> to put it very bluntly, the automobile happened to the trolleys and buses. Uh, by the time that uh, by the time the mid-30s rolled around, the cars had become very popular. People really didn't need mass transit as much as they did earlier. Uh, also, the laws had started to change. Uh, Public Service uh, Commission uh, laws uh, were starting to allow... Uh, railroads and trolley companies to operate bus lines now. Mm-hmm. And 
by this point, if you figure that the trolleys started to be electrified in the early 1890s or late 1880s, your infrastructure is getting to the point where it's 30, 35 years old now. Uh, and there's a lot of infrastructure involved with the trolley system with all the wiring and the electrical supplies that you have to provide. you got the trackage and everything. And one of the things that you don't really think about, but the trolley companies were responsible to the municipalities for paving on the streets also. They had to pay for the paving between the rails of their system and two feet on each side of it. So any time a street needed repaving, the trolley company got a huge bill from the municipality where their trackage was. So it was very expensive to operate a trolley system. And when the laws changed and they saw that they could operate buses for a much more economical uh, you know, basis than they could the trolleys, uh, it became much more enticing for them to start abandoning the trolley systems and cutting back on service. Uh, ridership was down anyway with the cars uh, and for the people that still needed the the uh, public transit, it was much more economical to go to a bus system. And was also a safety factor involved when you stop and think about it. The trolley tracks are out in the middle of the street. To get on and off the trolley, you've got to jump on and off out in the middle of the street, which means you have to walk through all those cars and buses that are on the street now, mm-hmm. whereas the bus pulls up to the curb. Mm. So there was, a, there was a safety concern there, too, that they could address by, uh, by switching over to the use of buses. So they, they got to the point where the, the safety factor, people were more concerned. Ridership was down because of automobiles, and the cost of the infrastructure and to maintain it was starting to really catch up with them. And uh, they could see the handwriting on the wall that uh, it really looked like the automobile and the bus was going to be replacing them. So uh, they started basically in the, in the late 20s, uh, they started to pare things down. Uh, here in the city, uh, 28, they closed down that belt line, which had really never been very popular. 36, they closed down the Hegeman line, and by 38, uh, the FJ&G closed down all their electric service completely, including the interurban service, and uh, that was that was pretty much the end of things around here as far as the trolley was concerned, as far as public service went. Mm. But yet, now these many uh, decades, uh, uh, maybe even closer to a century later, tro- trolleys are still charming to people. I, I note that uh, in Saratoga, Schenectady, Albany, when they... Uh, want to put in a free shuttle bus to entertainment attractions, they usually uh, make the bus look like a trolley car. Yeah, and I see that Schenectady, Schenectady just started running a trolley down there, too. And I think there's a, there's a certain nostalgia because it kind of takes people back to a simpler way when things uh, things weren't so fast and hectic and everything. There's, there's, a, there's a romanticism that's involved with trolleys and... It just seems like it was it was an easier way of life, I guess, and and people uh, people seem to be attracted to that. And uh, there, there's something fascinating about it. And I think part of it is that they they kind of came on the scene and they hit at the right time. They filled a need, and they've been referred to as the forgotten transportation because a lot of people. They know they know they existed, but they don't know that much about them, and there's a certain mystery to them too. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that attracts people to them is that they don't know a lot about them, so they, it is kind of it's interesting to them to have any connection to them mm-hmm. whatsoever. Mm-hmm. 
And this... So the, the fact that they, they get a chance to ride on something that looks a little bit like a trolley car uh, maybe, maybe is somewhat enticing to them. And this is a leading question. Are there any of the trolley cars that from the, the era in Amsterdam, New York, uh, Fonda, Johnstown, and Gloversville uh, Railroad, uh, any of the trolley cars that still exist? Funny you should ask, Bob. <laughs> uh, many years ago, uh, when I joined the uh, FGNG Historic Group that used to exist, uh, there was there was kind of an urban myth, or a, a rural myth in this case, that uh, one of the trolleys had survived and had been made into a camp somewhere up on the Sacandaga Lake, but nobody had any information on it. So that just kind of existed, like I say, as a myth. But back in 2008, uh, History and Archives up in Fonda, the department got a phone call from someone who had purchased a camp up in uh, up in the Fish House area, and they said they were going to tear the camp down and build a new one. But part of their camp was an old trolley car, and they were wondering if History and Archives would be interested in, in having it. And kind of all of a sudden the myth became reality. And History and Archives said, yes, definitely, they'd be interested in it. And in 2009, what was left of this trolley car was moved down to Fonda. And working with History and Archives uh, to figure out what it really was, because at at that point nobody knew where it had come from, whether it was part of uh, the FJ&G system or had it come from Saratoga or Schenectady or something along those lines. Uh, we once it got down to Fonda uh, on a volunteer basis, I started looking at it to see if I could find out any information about it. Uh, we had to move it from Fonda up behind the new uh, jail over in Fultonville because it was getting vandalized where it was. Um, eventually, was able to determine after taking several coats of paint, house paint off the outside of the thing. Um, that it actually was a trolley that was purchased by the FJ&G for use here in the city, uh, along with three others back in 1917. So this is actually its 100th year anniversary. It was car number 29, and it was a small car that was built by a company called Wasson over in Springfield, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, uh, like I say, it was a small car. It was had one set of wheels under the center of it. Uh, it was 33 feet long, had 34-passenger car, and uh, we kept it up there for quite a while. And then uh, last year, we had the opportunity to move it down to the Walter Owen Museum and eventually uh, hope to be able to have some indoor storage space over there, but at least that gave us a chance to get it more stabilized and closed in over there, uh, just the car itself to secure it, and uh, we were able to uh, put a new uh, motorhome cover over it just to protect it from the elements better, and hopefully we'll be able to proceed uh, with some more restoration work on it. There's not a lot left of it. Uh, When it was being used for a camp, it was actually so buried in the structure of the camp with other additions surrounding it and everything, it was being just used as a kitchen and dinette area, uh, there's not much left of it other than the shell, but it is the only remaining car from the FJ&G that we know of that still exists in terms of 
being one of their city cars, there's a couple of their inner urbans that are still in existence, one of which was totally restored and is at the Orange County Museum out in uh, out in California. Really? It's actually beautiful, unfortunately. And, and I'm, oh, sorry, Jerry, we're, we're just out of time. So the, oh, the okay. car number 29 is at the Walter Elwood Museum in Amsterdam, and, and you're working on it, I think would be safe yeah, it's, to say. Yeah, it's, we're, we're working towards trying to get going on restoration of it right at the moment. Very good. Uh, Jerry Snyder has been talking with us about trolley cars in the uh, Amsterdam area. Uh, Jerry, Amsterdam historian, former president, one of the founders of Historic Amsterdam League, and he continues on the board of trustees of Historic Amsterdam League. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm Bob Cudworth.